It's 1 o'clock in Los Angeles, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live with no applause whatsoever. Woohoo! <laughs> How are you guys? I was just adjusting my email, and uh, somehow I screwed up and lost the applause. So tonight you don't get any applause. Let me know that you can see me. And we will get this show underway because tonight we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments of Sync. How exciting is that? All right. There you guys are in the chat room. Hello, everybody. Uh, let's see. we got Christopher Jones, Martin Gravel, Dan Weber, Chris Anderson, Greg Carroza, uh, Ocean God. <laughs> you guys are going by too fast. I can't even read them anymore. Anyway, how are you? Um, just about didn't make the show tonight. <laughs> uh, am I going to be playing the part of Moses tonight? Uh, oh, thanks, Nancy. Uh, I want to let you guys know, thank you. I've been getting a lot of text messages and emails and stuff. We're fine. Um, it's hard to explain how you can be fine, uh, but we're fine. Um, all is good. We just drove back just now, got back um, from somewhere close like Jerusalem, West Bank area, and we're back here now at our apartment and all is good, we're safe and sound. Excited to see you guys, and I thought it'd be cool to do the Ten Commandments considering, yes, we're still in the Holy Land. My flights got canceled, so here I am, and we're just waiting to find out, uh, you know, when we can, uh, when I can fly home, actually. My wife is gonna stick around a little while longer. So let me open up my phone, my email, and see if I can find, oh my goodness, where did it go? Here we go. The Ten Commandments of Sync. All right, you ready for some commandments? I know I am. All right, the first commandment is, thou shall understand the purpose of creating music for sync is not to create a hit song, but instead to create music that supports or amplifies a mood or emotion in a scene. In the sync world, the music is rarely the star of the scene and its main purpose is to serve the picture. You need to come to grips with the, with the reality that in sync, they're looking for the right song, which is not necessarily, or instrumental, I should say, right song or instrumental. It's not necessarily the best song or the most amazing composer or the most amazing instrumental. It's gotta be the right thing for the scene. So I think most of you guys in the room know that, but uh, I fear, you know, we always have some newbies joining us, which welcome newbies. Um, yeah, it's a whole different mindset than trying to make records. Uh, the directors, the producers, the editors are looking for music that somehow enhances the mood um, or the action um, in the scene. It's that simple. And sometimes that's not a song that sounds like a hit song, but it's got something else going on. Uh, could be a lyric that makes it work on an instrumental level. It could be setting a mood. It's just that simple. So there you go. That is commandment number one. Awfully warm in here. I mean, they have remote controls for the air conditioner here, so let's make it lower. All right. All right. Commandment number two. I feel like I should have a sound effect for this. 
Thou shalt try to define the emotion, mood, or type of scene a piece of music is intended for before starting to create it. Uh, where did I go before starting to create it? An example of this would be, I'm going to create an introspective acoustic guitar-based instrumental cue that would work well in a coming-of-age film scene in which a young person is at a crossroads in life and trying to figure it all out. What does that sound like? So get that image, get that sound, get that mood in your head before you even start creating the piece of music, right? And then, let's see, oh no, I moved that one down. All right, let's move on. This might be a really short episode tonight. Number three, commandment number three, thou shall watch a lot of TV and look for scenes and shows that mu that's use music that's in your wheelhouse. Um, then you should analyze how that music is being used. How long did it play? How did the music enter? How did music uh, exit at the end of the scene? Or exit wherever it, uh, it left, not necessarily at the end of the scene. Um, was it a sparse arrangement? Was it a full arrangement? How was it mixed relative to the dialogue? Um, and, and I don't necessarily mean how did the person mixing the show, the post-production mixer do it, but let's say you've got a mix, it's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, so listen, when you watch TV and make notes about, um, let's use a reality show, my favorite default. Let's say that you're watching a reality show and there's a dramedy piece. Sometimes dramedy is just, let's say they're doing urban dramedy. It might just be like hip hop drums and a bass line and not much else going on. Sometimes it could be a much fuller arrangement. So take note of those things because they're important. And as we've talked about many other times on the show, um, surprisingly maybe to many of us, is that sparse music tends to get used more often. Um, sometimes they ask for stems and you give them a full mix and you know a, a mix minus vocal. Um, if you're doing instrumentals, you may do stems of just the rhythm or just the melody or just the keyboard pads, whatever. But take note of that because the more often you actually think about it and make a note about it, it's going to start seeping into your psyche and will help you when you're creating your own stuff. Oh no, I've lost my screen. Um, let's see. Uh, did it enhance the emotion or the mood? So you're watching the show and asking yourself, okay, what about this is making the mood more impactful or making the emotion um, more obvious, I guess. Um, and then ask yourself, why did the editor or music supervisor choose that piece of music? Think long and hard about that one because it's really important. Once you start to understand why you think they chose the music, that too is going to help you create music that's more usable by editors, by music supervisors. Um, and then when you get done making all those notes, look at them again and ask yourself, so what can I learn from this? There's a lot to be learned. Frankly, that's one of the greatest things you can do. The roadmap for making music for film and TV is there on your TV set every night, whether you're watching a film or an episodic drama or a reality show. It's there for the taking. You might as well. <clears throat>
Okay, commandment number four. I should do this in my Charlton Heston voice. Command number four. No, that's not very good. Definitely not an actor. Thou shalt pick a piece of music from that show and resolve to challenge yourself by creating and completing, completing a similar piece of music in the next 48 hours. So there you go. That's a good exercise. It's like having a workbook when you're in grade school or high school. Sit down, go through the show, and pick a piece of music and go, okay, I can do that genre, and then do it. Uh, and don't worry about if it turns out perfectly or not. Just complete it within 48 hours, especially if you're a rookie and you're trying to get the hang of creating music for film and TV. Completion is important. Don't leave stuff incomplete. Complete it, and even if it doesn't sound as good as the stuff that you're hearing on TV, or as good as your fellow members are making, don't worry about it. You're gonna be that good someday, just not there yet. Uh, commandment number five, and guess what? I used Roman numerals. <laughs> you know, I'm a little rusty on my Roman numerals, so uh, this was a good exercise for me to get my Roman numeral uh, chops back up. Uh, commandment number five is thou shalt check the piece while it's in progress to make sure that you're staying true to the mission. Remember you decided I'm going to create this piece of music that would work well in that kind of scene and I want it to have this kind of emotion or set that kind of mood. So check in with yourself every now and then because it's really easy to get off track. You know sometimes the creative juices are flowing and it goes in a different direction, but this is an exercise to make sure that you can do, I don't know, you're on a mission. You wanna make sure that you do it. So if you get carried away or carried off to another place, you've blown the mission. You're not gonna learn anything. You may create a great piece of music, but it's not gonna teach you a lot. So um, people sometimes rationalize the change of direction, say, oh, it could work well as a fill in the blank, meaning, you know, it could work well for this, could work well for that. Stick with what you started out to do. Train yourself to stay focused and on task so you can develop the chops to write to order when you get briefs directly from the libraries down the road. That's really important because once you make connections through Taxi, the libraries that you're signed to will probably start sending you briefs. And you want to be able to say, okay, I can sit down and write that piece. That's a time that you don't want to drift off course. So while you're doing um, this test piece that you're creating, make sure to check in every little once in a while. Make sure that you're sticking with the task. Stay focused. <coughs> All right. Um, commandment number six. Thou shalt make it a regular practice to check out the Taxi Forwards blog as well as the forward section of the Taxi Forum to listen to music that was forwarded from other members, maybe yourself, um, and hear what about that music made it work for that listing request. This is something I hear from our most successful members all the time that almost to the person, maybe every single one of them, will check the forwards blog, and Liz, if you would be kind enough to th throw up, not, not throw up, I don't mean like 
vomit, I think, mean, um, put up the, the link to the forwards blog and also a link to the forwards section on the taxi forum, just for any um, new folks that might not know what those are or where to find them. Um, okay, moving on to commandment number seven, Roman numeral seven, VII. Thou shalt resolve to develop realistic expectations and embrace the fact that earning money in music licensing is a marathon and not a sprint. The sync business is not like pitching songs to big artists and hoping for a monster hit. Um, the chances of you in your lifetime ever getting a sync placement that's going to generate a whopping amount of money, like you know, 50 grand or 100 grand, those happen very infrequently. Um, are you ever going to make a half a million or a million dollars on a sync placement? Not unless you're writing uh, whatever, uh, my heart will go on for Titanic. That was probably the biggest earning piece of sync music, I think, somebody once told me that, um, ever. So, you know, the chances are you're going to make your bread and butter money from getting instrumental pieces in reality shows. So just know that you're going to start out probably not getting any placements for a while in the beginning and then eventually you'll get one and you'll make a buck 32 and then a month or two later you'll get another one and make five dollars and 76 cents but it adds up over time it's incremental but once you reach critical mass um, all of the above will begin to happen more quickly you'll be able to write on demand more quickly You'll be able to focus on a mood and stay on task more quickly. Your engineering chops and production chops will just keep getting better and better, so you'll be able to produce stuff more quickly. All that good stuff. All right. Commandment number eight. Thou shall make it a non-negotiable practice to read all briefs and taxi listings at least twice to fully absorb all the critical details that could make the difference between success and failure in your pitch. I can't tell you, I know I've said this, you know, ad nauseum during episodes of Taxi TV over the years, but the vast majority of the music that is not forwarded to the listing party, the reason it doesn't get forwarded is so simple. It's because it doesn't match what the brief asked for. Uh, and as I've mentioned in previous shows, it's not uncommon for people to take a piece of music that they had from three years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, or whenever, and they go, well, you know, it is pop R&B. Okay, it is pop R&B, and that is the genre they're asking for, but it probably doesn't have the other elements they're looking for. So you need to read the brief or read the taxi listing at least a couple of times Make yourself a little bullet point list of all the things that they're asking for. And then as you're progressing through that piece, as you're writing it, producing it, laying down the tracks, keep checking in with yourself going, does it tick that box? Does it tick that other box? Keep yourself on task. All right. Uh, wow, we're up to number nine already. This may be a really short show. Maybe I'll do a little Q&A after. All right, commandment number nine is thou shall learn to value criticism over validation. And I want to credit taxi member Andrew Jordan for turning me on to that phrase. I interviewed him, I don't know, a year and a half ago or something. 
Uh, or no, actually, he had that on a forum post that he put um, at the end of his first year of being a taxi member. He put a very lengthy post on the forum kind of explaining how it went his first year. And one of the things he said that is maybe one of my favorite quotes of my entire life is value criticism over validation. I think that validation is like sugar. We all love it in the short term, but the after effects can be addictive and dangerous. Um, certainly in the long term, you know, I mean, if you're constantly getting validated, you get addicted to that validation and you start to think, yeah, I've got this, you know, I'm so good that you're not striving to keep learning and moving forward and getting better and testing yourself and pushing your own boundaries. So don't get addicted to validation criticism, even though it hurts, even though you may hate the taxi screener when you get that criticism, look for commonality. Did three different screeners over a period of a month or two mention the same thing that you're doing, something, um, whatever it is. Look for commonality in the criticism and look for stuff that makes sense. It may sting too much the day you first get that critique, don't look at it for a few days. Calm down, get a grip, and then go back and read it again. And you'll probably find yourself saying, you know, that screener was pretty right about that. So don't believe your own press. Don't suck up the validation. Enjoy it a little bit when you get it. I'm sure it's hard not to. Just don't let it get you into a pattern of thinking, I'm, I'm the shiz, right? You don't want to be the shiz. All right. We are up to commandment number 10. I wish I had sound effects. I miss, miss my roadcaster. Thou shalt treat the production of sync music as a creative job that needs structure in the music itself and in your work habits. So many people um, come into doing sync music, especially on the instrumental side, and they think, hey, no problem. I'll just write it like a song and I'll leave out the vocal and I'm gonna create this really pretty pad, you know, this dreamy, ethereal piece of music. Sounds like a movie score, but it's gotta have the structure that the editors need to use it because it's extremely rare that they ever use an entire 90 second cue, let's say. They're more likely to use five seconds or 10 seconds or 14 seconds or 28 seconds. So they're looking for pieces that they can here, I'm going to do it. They're looking for pieces they can cut out and move over there because it works in that little section of the scene. And there you go. So learn how to structure cues um, in ways that most cues are structured. Um, you can learn a lot about that by going on the Taxi Forum. You can learn a lot about it by searching previous videos that we've done on Taxi TV on how to create instrumental cues. Um, and then structure your work habits. Don't wait for the muse to show up. It's like, oh wow, I feel really creative today. I'm going to do a piece of instrumental music. Hmm, what shall I do? No, it, try and set aside a time. My favorite example, I think, out of all taxi members, I'm sure others do this, um, Randon Purcell. Uh, Randon Purcell gets up at 4.30 in the morning and he works on his music before his kids wake up and eat their breakfast cereal. So do that, you know, set aside a time where you regularly work. And I know 
you know, some of you may work a really late shift or something, getting up at 4.30 in the morning is, is not doable for you. But everybody's got some time they can set aside and don't mess with it. Don't screw with that time. That is your creative time. So stick with it, mark it off on a calendar, write it on a calendar, and every time you do 90 minutes in the morning before you get ready to work, or two hours at night after you've eaten dinner, write it in the book and check it off, just to give yourself a little reward, a little proof that you actually accomplished that goal. So, do you think I stopped at just 10 commandments? Oh no, I actually was gonna try and write 20, but uh, we were staying at some friend's house uh, and uh, I was down in their, in their basement working on this stuff and only added two bonus commandments and they are number 11, thou shall learn how to use a DAW, a digital audio workstation for those of you who may not know the lingo yet, and produce your own music if you don't already. I know that seems just like a huge challenge. I'm not technically inclined, you know, this stuff intimidates me. Um, get over it. Go get yourself a DAW. There's some free ones you can get. You can get Logic uh, Pro on your Mac for a couple hundred bucks. Um, just do it. Even if you start out with GarageBand and Macintosh, it's actually pretty... GarageBand today is better than like Logic was eight years ago. So learn how to operate a DAW. It's really important. The reason it's important is right now you're probably paying an outside engineer or studio to create your stuff. And let's say that a library reaches out to you and says, I love this piece of music. However, I would love it more and be willing to sign it if you did this or that and your answer to them would be I've got to wait until I can get studio time with my person to fix that I'll get back to you in like a week or so and you've got to spend money <clears throat> once you learn how to operate your DAW and it will take some time there is a learning curve but I've known many many taxi members that in six months to a year have gotten proficient enough on it that they no longer need to go to outside studios. Your productivity is gonna just go through the roof. So learn how to use your DAW. And last but not least, thou shall read these four books if you haven't already. And they are, and Liz is gonna be putting these up on the chat screen for you. Number one, Demystifying the Cue by Dean Crepain. That, again, is Demystifying the Cue by Dean Crepain. The second book is Demystifying the Genre by Dean Crepain. Um, Demystifying the Genre by Dean Crepain. They're both incredibly good books. Um, Got to get them. It's not, and don't buy one or the other. Buy them both. You're going to love them. Um, you will be so glad you spent that money. The next one is Writing Production Music for Television or TV. The Road to Success by Steve Barden. Excellent book. Um, again, you've got to have it. Got to have it. Those three books, if you read those three books and you can run your own DAW, you will be making usable instrumental cues for television in no time flat. That's a promise, right? Like a real promise. I promise you that yeah, just do it. And, and Dean's book, um, Demystifying 
the genre. He actually has examples. He's got links in the book and you can go click on these pieces of music as you're reading how he put them together. Um, and last but not least, if you're a songwriter and you are of the misguided belief that you can simply take the songs that you would normally pitch to artists, um, don't think that. You need to buy a copy of Robin Frederick's book, Shortcuts, for, Shortcuts to Songwriting for Film and TV by Robin Frederick. There's only one book in the entire world that I'm aware of that covers the topic of how writing songs for film and television is actually different. It's a related discipline, but it is a different discipline. And that book explains it in great detail. And it's kind of like having Robin Frederick sitting next to you while you're writing. So there you go, folks. There are um, 12 commandments. I added a couple. What can I say? So, um, yeah, I've actually looked at some of Mike Senior's stuff. I really uh, like what I saw. I haven't looked deeply into it, but uh, I think I saw something by him on YouTube and was very impressed with it. Robin is the queen. There you go. She is. Um, so um, let's do a little Q&A. Maybe tonight will be a short show. Cause I've got to say, it's 11.25 p.m. where I'm at and... Uh, we were out and about. We stayed over with our friends last night and, uh, and then just drove almost an hour and a half to get here to do the show tonight. So I'm a little white. So got any questions? Number three, watch lots of TV, no length cues. Yep, yep, yep. All true. Um, Yeah, I haven't seen uh, Barden's new book. There's probably one waiting for me at the office. He was supposed to send me one to read so that I could uh, endorse it or not. And I'm pretty sure that it's probably waiting for me when I get back to LA. Um, Michael is a songwriter from Elise Ashby Music. Michael is a songwriter with no vocalist. Is it best to connect with a ta another taxi member? Absolutely, Elise. I'm so glad you asked that question. Go to the Taxi Forum at forums.taxi.com and there are several places. You could go into the general section, you could go into the collaboration section um, and just say, hey, uh, I'm, a, I'm a writer, I'm a producer, um, I need a vocalist to collaborate with. And you would be shocked at how many incredibly talented vocalists there are there. So there you go. Simon Burnham says, are you okay? Are you talking my like psychological being, <laughs> Simon? Yeah, we're fine. Everything is fine. Um, hey, Robbie Hancock, how are you? Uh, Marion Laird, whoops, let me scroll back up to that one. Marion Laird had a question which just went off the screen. As a recording engineer, how would you make a vocal sound less hollow? Last comment from a screener. Honestly, Marion, I would have to really hear it um, to have a clue. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's EQ, if it's the microphone, if it's the room you recorded it in, if you had the microphone aimed the right direction. I am shocked, by the way. I don't have a microphone here to demonstrate this with, but I see this all the time with people doing um, streaming shows on the internet and they get like an Audio-Technica, an AT2020 like I've got back at the office, 
and they think it's an end fire microphone. An end fire microphone, you sing into this part. But most large capsule condenser microphones, you sing into the front of the microphone like this. But people don't know that usually the place where the logo is, that's the front of the microphone because the little mesh screen wraps all the way around. And sometimes they end up singing into the back of the microphone. Um, where maybe some switches are for the pad or a roll-off or something, and they think that's where they should be singing. Nope. Look for the logo. Nine out of ten times, maybe even 100% of the time. Singing at the wire mesh screen above the logo is where you want to be. So, I don't know. Without hearing it, Marion, I wish I could offer you more help, but I can't. Um... Can I explain stems to a newbie? Yeah, you know, sometimes I explain stems on the show and then I go back and watch the episode. I didn't do such a great job of explaining stems. Stems are kind of like submixes. It's, you know, just as I said before, a, a rhythm stem would be just the drums, uh, maybe drums and bass. Then you might do other stems where it's just the guitars. Then you might do another stem that's just keyboards. Then you might do um, like a, a mix that's minus whatever the melody instrument is. Some people actually do a stem that is nothing, let's say you use the saxophone. Some people will just use the saxophone. So leave all your faders exactly where they were and it's really, really important to leave your master exactly where it was and then just use the mute buttons to take stuff out. Don't ride stuff up to make it hotter because if you do, then you've created a stem where the overall level is gonna be hotter than the rest of the stuff that it came from. So if an editor is using a stem, here's a good example of when stems get used. Um, let's say there's dialogue in the scene and uh, you don't want a vocal with the lyric over the dialogue, but you do want the vocal to enter after the dialogue is finished. So a guy and his girlfriend are at a bar and they're having an argument and you hear the track, but the vocal's not in there. So if you provide them a mix minus vocal, the editor would use that up until the point that the argument is over, the dialogue is over, and then boom, the lyric would kick in probably at the chorus and probably the chorus lyric would be something that would pertain to having an argument or wishing we didn't fight so much or whatever. So the editors like to have those pieces. Basically, it's a mix but it's a mix of different things broken out separately that if they were all played at the same time in unison with all the faders set at zero, it would sound like the full mix. I hope that explains it. Um, whoa, I just skipped, I just lost like 10 questions. Um, can I recommend music production classes for newbies? Honestly, the people in the chat room probably have a lot more experience than I do at checking out all the various ones. Um, I, you may not know because I think you're new. Um, 
I got logic. I, I used to be an engineer producer, but a very long time ago, and I never worked in the digital domain, and I never used a DAW. So I think it was probably last September, October, I got logic. And then after our convention, the road rally was over, probably in December or January, I started playing around with it a lot, just kind of learning where things are and how to you know, use plugins, all that sort of stuff, and doing some mixes with it. Having a blast, I love it. Um, I used the last studio that I worked at, the room that I worked in, was a $3 million room between the equipment and the acoustic stuff. It's a $3 million room. I've got to say, I'm absolutely convinced that Logic, and I'm sure the other DAWs, have way more stuff than my $3 million room did. So um, there's, there's a lot to learn, but it's kind of like learning Excel or Word. There are, you know, the 20 routine things that you use all the time or the 50, but, you know, it may have 1,200 different things that it can do and you don't use the vast majority of them. So learn how to use the 20 everyday functions or the 50 everyday functions and then just know where that other stuff is or at least you'll have an inkling, oh, you know what, I'll bet you can do that and then you can Google it or search on YouTube and there are so many great videos that I've seen on YouTube explaining just any question you would have on using a DAW or producing music, it's on YouTube somewhere. But go ahead, guys in the chat, feel free to recommend your absolute favorites. Um, oh, man. There's so much stuff in the chat room that every time I go to find something, everything just flies off the screen. So if I miss you, I'm sorry. Um, if you, Terrence uh, Wintersmith wants to know if you're using a company such as CD Baby to administer your publishing, will this cause a problem? Yes, this is something we've talked about probably 50 times on the shows. If they're doing admin on your publishing, if you check that box for CD Baby Pro, and they're a fine company, I'm not saying anything bad about them. We know them well, they're a great company. However, they become your publishing admin. So you can't take that same piece of music and do a deal with a music library that's exclusive because that way CD Baby would be making the money um, instead of your publisher, so the publisher won't sign you. So yes, anything that you're going to pitch to other publishers, you could make the argument that it's not a problem if you're working um, with non-exclusive publishers. Personally, it's just a personal opinion. I think it's just a good general rule to not have stuff that you're going to pitch for film and TV to production music libraries or any of the sync licensing companies and not have it adminned by those companies. There are going to be problems. Maybe you'll forget that it's admin by them and send it into somebody anyway, and that's going to make you look bad. So just reach out to them and say, can I cancel this deal? And I'm pretty sure CD Baby lets people out of their deal. Um, looking for other questions. I'm afraid to scroll down for fear that it will fly right by. Oh, this is a great question from Stephen Elling. Do titles have an influence on screeners for forwards or returns? No. The only thing screeners are looking for, they may appreciate a good title. They may really appreciate a good title because they'll be proud of you and happy for you, but it will have zero effect 
on whether or not you're getting forwarded. They're just looking, have you answered what the brief or the listing asked for really well and is the quality above the quality line or bar? If you accomplish those two goals and you're, by the way, you're never competing with other taxi members. You're just competing with the quality bar and did you nail it style-wise and genre-wise? And that's where a lot of people fail, so check that out. Um, scrolling down again. Yeah, if you guys could type, do like Heidi Owen just did. Oh, crap. There goes Heidi Owen flying off the screen. There we go. Uh, can a taxi member post a forward to the forum from their profile? I tried to post a forum, a, a forward and do not have the proper format. Um, I'm pretty sure you can do that. I would call member services because I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Maybe somebody in the chat room does and they could fill you in. Also, um, go on the taxi forum and just ask other members because I'm sure people do it. Yeah, logic is 200 bucks right now. Um, okay, Dan Weber wants to know, if you sign a unique instrumental cover with one publisher, can you sign the vocal version to another? Nope. <laughs> there is shortest answer I'll ever give. No, I'm certain of that. Um, this is from Sarah Giannetto. Hi, Sarah. I think you're new to, uh, certainly new to the chat. Welcome to the show. Um, question, if a listing is accepting stripped down demos for recording artists, then why are the demo vocals, among other things, being judged so harshly? That's a great question. I've got a great answer for that. Um, even though they're willing to accept a stripped down demo, um, if you heard the stripped down demos that they create in Nashville, for instance, uh, the vocal delivery is excellent. Why? Because you don't want, let's use country music for a second. So let's say you submit a demo to an A&R person at Warner Brothers Nashville. Um, and they play it in their next meeting with the artist and the artist manager and the producer probably in a pre-production meeting before the record gets made. And your thing has just kind of a weak vocal or a pitchy vocal. Um, it, it's a turnoff. And the other stuff that they're gonna listen to before it or after it is gonna be super strong, especially in Nashville. So you wanna put your best foot forward. Um, there's a song that I've played, a demo that I've played on Taxi TV, I don't know, half a dozen times over the years. I'm probably gonna play it again. Once I get back to LA and I'm operating under normal circumstances, I'll play it again. And uh, it's a song, oh, I can never remember the name of it or who cut it, but it ended up being a hit song for a huge country band. I've got the original demo of it and it's astonishingly good. And it's nothing more than a decent sounding electric piano um, that just plays perfectly. It's not too much, not too little. There's a lot of emotion in the keys, but not a lot of flourishes or anything fancy. They're not looking for the most accomplished piano player. They're looking for a piano track that supports the vocal, makes the vocal more impactful. And the vocal in that demo that I will play again 
on an upcoming episode. The vocal is so incredibly good that anybody that hears that demo would say, that's a hit record. So that's why the vocals are so important. It's your sales brochure. It's the thing that is supposed to talk the artist into wanting to cut your song. And if the demo is for a pitch to a female artist, put a female demo on there. Put it in a key that's pretty easy for everybody to sing. If you've got a really you know, great top end of your range, don't show that off because maybe the person who's looking for songs to cut doesn't have that same range. So you might be singing something that they'll never be able to do and they'd have to you know, crank it down half step, whole step, whatever. Um, sing it in the middle range so that whoever's listening can sing along with it by the end of the first chorus. That's what you want. The minute somebody starts to sing along with the chorus, then you've got buy-in, and that is what you want. Um, okay, scrolling down. This is from Karen Brasher. Hey Karen, how are you? Hi Michael, I'm starting a logic course, 10 week, one hour sessions a week on Zoom, real time. Cool. Um, feel free to mention the name of the course. Uh, Richard Emmett, how are you Richard? Uh, nice answering your email. I don't remember when it was, like last night, late last night or early this morning, I don't remember. I'm a few hours ahead of you here. Um, Richard says, lately I've noticed the libraries are being more specific about what average RMS or LUFS levels the mixes should be at. Also make sure you know what format is wanted, whether they want AIFF or WAVE, 16, 24-bit, etc. Absolutely. Um, you know, some libraries that I know actually don't seem aware. <laughs> You would think that they would be like into the whole level thing and they're not, but many others are. And just ask the library because I think different libraries treat it differently. Um, and frankly, there are times that I hear stuff where I could see people went for a lot of level um, on something that has a lot of dynamics in it. And they probably shouldn't have because they're right they're just knocking on the door of distortion and every now and then i can hear a little you got to really look for it but it's in there so just know that different types of music are going to you know if you're listening if you're mixing something that's very legato and dreamy um you could probably put a little more level on that if you're doing something that's just got like big bombastic taiko drums be careful um, and love your limiters. Uh, let's see. Another one from Lisa Ashby. Question, if commercial releases with TuneCore, CD Baby, etc., does ASCAP, etc., collect the international royalties if you don't have anyone else doing publishing admin? Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'm going to read the question one more time. If commercial releases are with, so if you've released something through TuneCore CD Baby, does ASCAP, it's probably the affiliate, you know, let's say like here in Israel, the uh, PRO is called Akum, 
ACUM. So I'm sure that they've got a relationship and some sort of affiliate agreement with ASCAP and BMI both. So if your stuff um, gets played over here and a performance royalty is generated, then Akum would collect it and then they would send it to the states. Just be aware that that process can take a year or more. Um, just dealing with one PRO takes too long. Dealing with a couple of them takes even longer. Uh, yeah, let's leave the names out of the... Guys, please don't put the names of companies in there. A lot of people watch these videos that are not taxi members, and now they're just going to go right to the companies you've mentioned and say, hey, I heard from taxi that you're looking for music, and you're just creating competition for yourself. Um, okay, where am I? All right, it looks like we might be out of questions. I can't believe we're only 45 minutes into the show. What are Tyco drums? Tyco drums is actually spelled T-A-I-K-O, I believe. Those those big Japanese drums where the guys use the giant sticks, the drums are like, I don't know, three or four feet across. Those are the drums you often hear like in big bombastic orchestral pieces um, in a movie trailer, for instance. Christopher Nielsen asks, is there a general average estimate on how many folks compete for various taxi requests? Zero. You're never competing. You are never competing. It doesn't matter if we get 10 submissions, 500 submissions, or 1,000 submissions. That doesn't influence what gets forwarded. Never has in 29 years, and it never will. Um, most resources seem to be for when you say resources, do you mean most listings? This is from Branson Freed. Uh, most resources seem to be for film and TV sync. Any suggestions to learn more about the commercial side of things? Absolutely. If you're a taxi member, um, on your member homepage, there's a link to last year's road rally, which we did virtually. And in there, um, I can't remember the name of the thing. Um, anyway, yes. We've covered commercial music um, several times. Um, we've interviewed people on taxi TVs. We've done it at the Road Rally. We've published stuff in our newsletter. So it's all over there. I can't remember specifically where to tell you because we've got just so much content. So I, don't, I can't tell you where to go. But maybe a good place to go would be go to the forum at forums.taxi.com and say, hey guys, I'm looking for taxi content that addresses the making of music for TV commercials. It's in there. You'll find it. Hello, Richard Carr. How are you? See, Tim Harrison, do multiple forwards for a listing get more attention from libraries? Uh, for example, if I only have one forward, am I likely to hear from the company? No. Um, the answer is just no. Um, it doesn't matter how many forwards you get, they're listening to each piece of music. 
and judging it on its own merit, whether or not they think that it's music that they could get their clients to use and therefore earn money with it. So, um, I mean, more forwards is great in that you may get more, um, more stuff signed by them. However, it's become a thing in the last few years where when a library gets something from a taxi member and they really like it, inevitably when they're doing the deal on that one piece of music, they'll say, do you have anything else like this? And that's when you say, yeah, I've got seven other pieces like that. And they'll say, send them on over. I want to hear them. And maybe they'll pick up two, three, four, or all seven. Um, hello, Lola, Lola Parks. Um, you're welcome. I'm happy to be doing the Q&A. Um, do libraries take into consideration your waveforms? That's an interesting and a good question. We've talked about a related subject. Um, editors definitely look at waveforms. If they're looking for something that's very percussive, you can see it in a waveform. Um, they're looking also at waveforms to see if the music, as it progresses, does it get bigger dynamically, especially if it's a piece that's going to get, you know, like a, I don't know, an orchestral hybrid piece that might be used in a trailer. That's going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes on. Woo, right off the screen there. Sorry, I've got really squeaky stool in the apartment we're renting. Um, I honestly can't tell you that I've ever had a library tell me, and I know a lot of library owners personally, None of them have ever said to me, I look at the waveform. Might they? It's possible. I just don't think it's that much of a thing. I wouldn't worry about it so much. Um, is it possible to waive your broadcasting streaming royalties in a bad deal or are you automatically protected by industry standards? I don't know what that means. Honestly, I just don't understand what that means. Um, uh, and actually, Mojo, music soups don't look at the waveform so much as editors do. Editors look at it. Uh, supervisors maybe. Most of the time, waveforms get looked at by people working on instrumental stuff for reality shows. Um, so th they do it routinely. I believe in music soups may do it, uh, but oftentimes, the majority of the time when they're placing instrumental music, and when I say majority, like 60, 70%, I would guess, um, it's probably done by editors in those cases. So yeah, you know, for the balance, when music soups are looking for instrumental stuff, they may look at a waveform. Clearly editors do, that we know for a fact. Um, question from Owen Gretsch. Hi, Michael. How are you? If you started in engineering today instead, do you think you would have stayed in that profession or went ahead and started taxi anyway? That's an interesting question. Um, it's a really impossible question to answer. The reason I literally walked away from engineering and producing is I was starting to take off. I mean, I, I got to work with some really big people. But all of a sudden, I was starting to get calls from labels about would I be interested in meeting with this act? They heard something I did. Would I produce them? Blah, blah, blah. And when my first daughter, Rachel, who is now 40 years old, that means I'm really old, um, when she was born, I remember there was a time where my now ex-wife said to me, do you realize your daughter is six months old and you have yet to change a diaper? 
Um, I was barely ever home because back then people did records all at once. They would book a studio for like 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And, and basically they would work seven days a week, as many hours a day as they could. And because different members of the band were working on different things, we had to be there all the time. They only had to be there for the stuff they were doing. So I was rarely home. So I walked away from doing that stuff and started doing audio post at a very high level in New York. I started out at the bottom, worked my way up in New York doing audio post. Um, then I moved to Los Angeles and was ultimately running a big general post-production company that did TV commercials, um, a lot of music videos, we would shoot them, we would edit it, edit them, post-produce, you know, uh, all the way through. And it was while I was working at that company that I realized that, I think I saw America Online and said, wow, this online thing is going to be something. That was pretty, uh, pretty good observation, if I do say so myself. And I thought, why doesn't somebody set up a system whereby you could use this new online technology for finding the best music? And at the same time, MIDI was becoming more ensconced. Um, the Elisis ADAT had just been released, if memory serves correctly. And I remember thinking, wow, now it's affordable, you know, for a few thousand dollars. I mean, you could buy an ADAT, I want to say, for like around 3,000 bucks or something. Had eight tracks on a VHS tape. Um, so people were buying three of them, you know, for like $9,000, running them in sync, and they would have a 24-track digital studio at home, probably with a Mackie 8 bus console, a couple of good microphones, and it's like now that person that used to have to pay 150 300 bucks an hour to go to a, a, a real recording studio um, could now make their music at home, and that's when the light went on for me. I thought, wow. There've got to be a lot of people out there that are really talented that before couldn't even make the recordings, let alone get them heard. Now they can make the recordings, but the problem with them getting heard is going to still exist. And that's what caused me to start Taxi. So I hope that answered the question. Um, let's see, this one's from Ocean Goer Music. What if you're offered a sync option and you've had a and you have had a good singer that you've paid to do the demo, should you offer the singer a percentage for their performance? Um, you could. Um, you could probably also say, uh, call the singer up and say, um, I, I, too much information is a bad thing. I would merely call the singer up and say, look, I'd like to do a new work for hire for you. The last one was for your vocal to be treated as a demo but I think I want to put this thing out as a master and I'd like to pay you a master rate, um, which, you know, I don't know what you paid for the demo. I don't know, therefore, what you should pay, you know, to pay them off. Um, but, you know, if you can avoid making them your partner on it, um, then again, you know, if it's somebody you want to collaborate with on an ongoing basis, maybe you want to develop a collaborative relationship where they're getting a piece of it. Uh, well, just another right off the page. Yep, the good old Mackie 8 bus. Those things sounded great. They really did. They had great preamps and great equalizers on them. Uh, 
Christopher Jones. Love the info about the Bee Gees vocal recordings of Virtual Road Rally. Oh, man. There it is. Um, how one of the guys had more vibrato and the recording techniques so relevant even now in times of recording in DAWs. Yep. They, those guys were just masterful in front of a microphone. By the way, did you guys notice that we just published, I think it was in last month's newsletter, taxi newsletter, um, I found a thing on YouTube of, I think it was How Deep Is Your Love, um, with the Bee Gees actually in the studio writing it, and you're a fly on the wall. Go check that out. It's really cool. Um, not great fidelity, but it sounds, it's just amazing. You're in the room with the Bee Gees when they're actually writing something. Um, how much weight does a one-stop song, this is a good question from Branson Freed, how much weight does a one-stop song, uh, one song, meaning you only have to go to one person or one business entity to license both sides, the master and, um, and the composition, so does that more desirable if there's only one writer and one master creator than if there are three writers? Um, I don't think it makes that much of a difference, especially if you have your act together and all three of the collaborators or co-writers on it um, have signed off. In other words, if they don't have to chase down three people, one person can make the deal for all the people, then that's one stop even though you've got two co-writers. Um, if they've got to chase down those other people, if they really, really, really want to use that song, they've got to chase them down and the first person they contact is you and you go, yeah, I'm sure the other guys will be amenable. Um, they'll probably pursue it anyway. It happens all the time. Um, Linda Sankar asked Michael, is it that vocals on a track is focused more on than the music when it comes to selection of submissions? No, it's everything. Um, it's, it's everything. Um, people don't go, oh, I'm just going to, you know, the song is kind of a B plus song. The production is kind of A minus. The musicianship, it's passable, but the vocal is killer. I'm going to forward this. Nah, it, it's got to all be that good. Um, Hello, Rolf from Germany. Um, how much of a track does the screener listen to? They are taught to listen as far as the bridge in the context of songs, because once you've gotten to the bridge, you've heard the intro, you've heard um, the first verse, the second verse, the bridge, chorus a couple of times. Um, so they really don't need to listen to the chorus as it repeats at the end. Um, that's what they're instructed to do. Frankly, I think that they listen longer. I used to screen, so I know this from firsthand experience, is what the screeners tend to do is they hit play and they'll type right then while it's playing because they'll notice something in the intro going, the intro's too long. They'll, they'll make a note of that. Um, the chorus doesn't differentiate enough, um, isn't dynamically different, isn't melodically different, doesn't punch up much compared to the verse, they'll make a note about that. So they're kind of writing as they're going, and then when they get to the end and it's time for them to do their little summary thing, um, the reason this was or was not forwarded, 
they oftentimes go back, especially if it wasn't forwarded, they'll go back and say, you know, check it out, line number two uh, in the second verse um, falls apart because of this, check that out. So that's how much they listen to. Um, when it comes to instrumental stuff, you know, cues are usually somewhere in the 90-ish second range. They listen to the whole thing. They probably listen a couple of times. Um, can you access, this is forwarded by Marianne Laird from D. Colin Fox. Um, can you accidentally lose the rights to royalties that you should be that should be paid to your PRO? Um, you don't really lose the rights by accident. Um, I would say a better statement is that there are times your music may be used in a show and your PRO doesn't find out about it because the person filling out the cue sheet for the show either doesn't fill it out, doesn't get it to the right person, or doesn't put your piece of music on it. It's not something that I would lose any sleep over. It does happen. It doesn't happen the majority of the time. I, I can't even guesstimate a percentage of the time that does happen. But it's not frequent. It's, you know, but you should always have your business act together and keep an eye on that stuff. And if you find out that a song of yours was in a show and your PRO wasn't notified of it, then the PRO is going to ask you probably to send them the video, the song title, um, all the information, the co-writers, all that stuff. And then they're going to reach out to the production because the PRO gets paid when you get paid. So they like to get their money too. So they'll reach out to the production or the network or whomever should have filed the cue sheet and uh, poke them until they get the cue sheet filled out. Um, at least that's, that's what I know about it. I'm curious to see if anybody in the chat room um, has a different opinion on that. Question, and when you have, this is from Simon, um, when you have no notes, Gust, it is not for this? What? <laughs> I don't understand, Simon, sorry. Bonzo, just got your second placement ever on Saturday through a taxi forward, woo! Good going, Bonzo. Make sure that you send an email to member services or deals at taxi.com. Please let us know so we can put you in the newsletter. That goes for the rest of you. I was actually editing about three hours ago. I was editing the latest batch of member deals for the upcoming newsletter. And every time I do that, I sit there and think, you know, if these 10 people, because we put, or nine, I think, um, in every batch, if these nine are getting these deals, there are probably 900 people out there getting the deals, getting deals as well, placements and signing deals with publishers. And it's amazing to me how many people don't let us know. So Bonzo, please do. I really appreciate that. Uh, Marion says, when I get my first deal, tax would be the second to know right after my mom. There you go.
spring level centers in finally. Nice going, spring. I was going to fly out and personally, you know, like twist your arm to go do that. Uh, here's another one from D. Colin Fox. Uh, do clients ever ask for a remix or a remaster, or does it need to be absolutely perfect for them from the start? Um, it's got to be broadcast quality. It's got to be good enough that we can forward it to them without ruining our reputation and thereby ruining future opportunities for you and your fellow members. If they get something and they think, you know, that the mix needs a little help, once they reach out to you and say, I'd like to sign this, they might say, I'd like to sign it, but it's really shy on the bottom end. Could you do remix, another mix with more bottom? Send it to me and then we'll take care of the paperwork. That sort of thing happens not all that often, but it does happen. Uh, John Linderman wants to know, do you think there will be an increasing demand for chill hop lo-fi instrumentals? Um, it's a very popular genre online, on YouTube and on Spotify for like the study beats crowd, you know, people that listen to lo-fi chill hop um, to study, ostensibly to study. I'm not so sure they do because I've watched these channels and you look at the chat room, it looks like a bunch of flirting and, and hooking up, go, like uh, global hookups via the chat rooms on those things. But yeah, it's a very, very popular genre there. Is it a genre that's gonna have legs for years to come? I don't know. I just don't know. Um, I hope so, I actually like it. If you have no notes, it's just isn't for this. I still don't understand. It's like in, an incomplete thought, Simon. And my brain is fried anyway, because I woke up at six this morning and it's now midnight and I'm answering questions. I, I just don't understand it, buddy. I wish I could. Um, here's another one from Sarah Giannetto. I have a totally reimagined Sinead O'Connor cover and don't know how to treat it on taxi. Does it have any place there? Do I wait for a specific cover ask? Yes, you do. Um, and we run those. Um, I can't say that we put one out a week, but I would say probably one or two a month, maybe. Um, you know, they're fairly popular, especially in the, in the TV promo world, in the film trailer world. They love reimagined covers. And I actually think that we might have a listing um, for reimagined covers out there right now, whether or not um, your thing is right for it or not, um, I don't know. But you should, if you uh, reach out to member services at taxi.com, um, or you could just go into listings and, and do a keyword search on reimagined and see if it pops up somewhere. I'm pretty sure we've got one that's live right now. Um, Petey Pete says, uh, I have a, whoa, shoot. Uh, I, no, not that. I lost you, Petey. Oh, message deleted. Message deleted again. Okay. Michael, you are getting very busy. Will you continue the quarantinis? Yes, I plan to continue do, doing the quarantini happy hours. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of like this. It's an hour-long show that I do at 4 p.m. every Tuesday and Thursday. It started a little bit more than a year ago when we all locked down, and it, it was just a daily hang. 
it can be a little goofy or silly. Um, we talk about everything from the gophers in my backyard to anything, just any topic under the world. But there is frequently valuable information about the music industry. It's a support group. <laughs> um, but all of us who are involved, and you're absolutely welcome um, to join us Tuesday and Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific time um, on this channel. I've been out of town now for about four and a half weeks and haven't been doing them because uh, the tech is a little hard to set up here. Uh, but I will start doing them probably about a week after I get home. When I'm getting home, I do not know yet. But give me a week to um, get over the jet lag and I'll start doing some quarantines because I miss doing them. Um, Yeah, Mojo's got a great point. Dubstep disappeared almost overnight. It was crazy. You know, when Skrillex was a big deal, Dubstep was a big deal, we were getting Dubstep listings like crazy. And then it just dropped off like crazy. I mean, just, you know, so I hope Lo-Fi Chill Hop um, lasts longer than Dubstep. Uh, Uh, Susan Hillman asks, with things opening up in LA and elsewhere in the US, do you see a flood of production related to the pandemic like we've been waiting for? Gotta be coming. How can you have a pandemic and not ha have a bunch of movies of the week and, um, oh gosh, uh, what's that channel? I can't think of it now because my brain is tired. My whole body's tired as well. Uh, the Hallmark Channel. I mean, I, I've got to believe that there are going to be several like movies of the week type of things um, and episodes of TV shows that weren't shooting before that are now. Um, I think that they will absolutely cover the pandemic, not to mention all the retrospective shows. You know, now is the second guessing is is going to happen. You know, was Fauci right? Was the CDC right? Did they act too soon? Did they act too late? All those kind of, you know, like um, 60 minute type of things. And they're going to be looking for, you know, the instrumental, I call it lab tech music, the wah -bah 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 -bah, arpeggiated stuff when people look through microscopes and such. Um, okay, PDP. I have a friend who wrote slash performed vocals on a couple of my pieces who passed away. Not sure how I should approach um, conducting business on those pieces in their absence. Got to reach out to the heirs, the family members. I, I don't know if you're, and I'm sorry that you lost that friend. Um, was it somebody who was married and left a wife behind or was it a young person whose parents would be controlling his or her estate? That's who you have to reach out to. And um, you would probably need some very short letters saying, hi, my name is Bob Jones and I am, you know, um, the, I don't know what you even call it for an estate. Um, but, you know, something that acknowledges that they are the person managing the decedent's estate and that they thereby give you permission to submit that music. Um, with the decedent's vocal on it, uh, that should cover it. 
I'm amazed that I could use the word decedent with my brain being, I'm literally like my eyes are crossed. I'm having a hard time reading the stuff in the chat right now. Wow, I can't believe it's 12.11 already. Uh, okay, let's scroll down. Uh, at least the quarantinis are recorded. You can find archives of them in, you know, in our YouTube channel. Quarantini was a source of sanity back last year. Uh, you mean insanity, Chris? <laughs> um, that's a great question. Uh, from Steve Elling, um, can taxi create a dictionary of screener terms like contour, um, vocal was timid. Um, I really like that idea. We've got a, uh, a glossary on the website down the bottom navigation at the bottom of every page, but um, I had a pretty big hand to putting the glossary together and I don't know that we covered that kind of stuff. I'm willing to do it. My fear is that, um, trying to describe what one screener might define vocal contour as might be different from another. Uh, Liz, if you could please make a note about that, uh, doing a screener term glossary and put that on my desk. Don't email me about it because I'm, I'm just getting bombarded with emails. I think every single taxi member is, are you guys okay over there? So not a good week to email me anything, but um, yeah, if you would just take like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and big letters and just write, Michael, don't forget to uh, consider the, uh, the screener term glossary. I will take that under advisement, Stephen, and I'll run it by some of our screeners. I'll run it by our A&R staff, our head of A&R, our head screener and see what they think and uh, we'll do our best. Question from Spring Level. Um, in the listing for pre-2000 recordings, that would mean that an outdated piano sound would be acceptable? Yeah, um, that's part of the time. When you see taxi listings where they're looking for vintage stuff, whether, you know, and they'll tell you what the vintage period is, whether it's like pre-1975 or before 1999, um, what they're looking for actually is things that sound like they were recorded back then. So yeah, the recordings aren't going to be as good. They're not going to sound like today's recordings. That's what gives them the authenticity. So absolutely, you're fine with that. Inviting rhythms. Okay, I talked about this, I believe, either on the forum recently. I just answered this question somewhere recently. Inviting rhythm means that it's a catchy rhythm. It's something that invites you to join in, to move your body like this, you know? It's, 
I have a, a dear friend that passed away a few years ago named Ralph Murphy, who was the vice president of ASCAP in Nashville uh, for international stuff. Uh, and he wrote a great songwriting book, and he was a great songwriting teacher. And uh, he was one of my closest friends. And he used to always say, you've got to invite the listener in. Well, he, what he meant was you've got to hook somebody, get their attention, you know, give them the hook and bring them in. Same thing for inviting rhythms. It just means a good, catchy rhythm that gets the attention of the listener and draws them into the whole song. So, hope that answers it for you. Mary and Laird, I miss Ralph Murphy. So do I. You know, about four hours ago, um, I was working on something and Deborah came down to the basement at our friend's house where I was working on taxi stuff. And I happened to be on my phone. I don't think I can find this that quickly. Let me see if I can, I'll hold it up to the screen. I can never find photographs on my phone when I want them, ever. I thought it was in my favorites folder. Apparently I was wrong. Oh, anyway, I can't find it. Anyway, I had a picture of Ralph. We were out to dinner one night and I took a picture of him at, at the restaurant. And online I saw an old oil painting. I believe that it was from Spain. It was probably from the 1700s. And the guy in the painting looks so much like Ralph that I did a side-by-side -side with the two of them. Um, I wish I could send it to Ralph. He'd get a kick out of it. Question, how do you write a hook? I don't know. Read Robin Frederick's books. She'll have an answer for that. Um, yeah, Lisa, she's got to go. You know what, guys? I think I'm going to call it a night, uh, end the show a little early tonight. I am just absolutely toasted. And uh, I actually have a relatively kind of day off tomorrow, just a few odds and ends of taxi stuff, but not a crazy day. So I'm going to try and sleep in tomorrow. Maybe I'll wake up and watch cartoons or something constructive. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so let me find my theme music, if I can. Got to go out with the theme music. Can't find the applause. I was swiping on my phone, and I think, I, I don't know what that means when you're looking at Gmail on your phone and you swipe the wrong way. It just disappeared. I looked in the deleted folder. It's not in there. So don't have that anymore. Um, got a bunch of stuff in Hebrew that I don't know what it is. It's probably telling me you're never going home. All right, here we go. Good night, you guys. I will see you uh, definitely next Monday. <laughs> God willing, I'll see you next Monday and have a great night. Thank you for joining me today, tonight, this evening. I appreciate it. See you soon.